The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. I welcome you and encourage you to take a copy of the Bible and turn with me to Psalm 10. If you don't have a copy of the scripture, there's one under a chair close by you. Uh, It's page 451, where we will find ourselves today studying through the 10th Psalm. While you're finding your place there, I wish a happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. And I just want you to know that I am encouraged to be a part of a local church to where we see many men pursuing, seeking to follow the Lord and to be the kind of husband and father that God uh, has declared in his word that we are to seek to be. So be encouraged, brothers, and I pray that you would press on for the sake of the gospel. Psalm 10 is answering a question. Where is God when things are difficult? It is a gritty psalm, and it is speaking to answering questions that both believers and unbelievers have asked. Where is he? So I'm going to seek to follow this psalm and to work our way through it verse by verse today. Uh, It's a rather long psalm, but I am convinced that we need to understand what's being said here. So my approach would be a little bit different than I normally do of taking the time to explain through each verse this morning. And I pray that God will use it to answer your questions and to prepare you for the future. So Psalm 10, I invite you to stand as I read the psalm in its entirety. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and opposition. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God is forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself and you have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. 
The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that as we come into your presence, that we will both acknowledge and comprehend that you are the king forever and ever. And though we live in a time where it appears the wicked are prospering above the righteous, we say to you, arise, O Lord, lift up your hand and forget not the afflicted. Ride our hearts with your word this day, we plead and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The main idea of this text is though God appears to be silent at times, he can be trusted to justly provide for his people. I shared with you last week that Psalm 9 and 10, some have argued, are one psalm. Psalm 9 is rather positive in its approach, but here we find the opposite. It's revealing that there are seasons in a believer's life, which sometimes come on suddenly, that reveal great difficulty. Difficulty that comes in the lives of either individual believers or among groups of believers at the hands of the ungodly. Let me just share some insights in this church and in the world around us. Of recent days, I have watched difficulty in the lives of believers in this church who at the hands of unbelieving coworkers or bosses who have made life difficult for them in the workplace, threatened and even taken their jobs. I've witnessed rebellious spouses walk out of a marriage for another person, leaving their spouse and children stunned and grieving. Reports have come of an intensified suffering of Christians in the world who because they have chosen to follow Christ have lost their families, their livelihood, and for some, even their lives. And the most poignant example has been that of Pastor Andrew Brunson from Izmir, Turkey, who has been imprisoned, accused of illegal political activity. In other words, he's being accused of associating and being involved with militant Muslim activity, a ludicrous charge. So in all of those and beyond and in your own stories, I ask the question of the text, where is God? Where is he? The Bible is not afraid of your questions. It's not afraid of the things that are there in your hearts and your minds. So come with that question if it is in your mind and ask and hear the answer. First, the Lord God appears to be silent at times. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13, one, we'll deal with in a few weeks. How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? The question reveals there are times when it appears to us as if God is acting outside of his character. However, the, though the psalmist does not understand his dilemma, he is seeking his answer from the Lord. He's coming to God with the question. So even when he appears silent, we must remind ourselves God has spoken. And even though the answers may not be obvious, they are in his word. For example, 
The second question, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble is already answered in the ninth Psalm in the ninth verse. Look there with me. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. So here's what the the text is, is identifying. You're gonna have times of trouble. In the midst of the times of trouble, it's not that God takes them away, it's that God is a stronghold for us in the times of trouble. So here's the problem. The problem is not asking the question. The problem is finding the answer in the wrong place. And if you look around you and you see what's going on in the world and you look to the ungodly to answer your question, particularly when the ungodly seem to have the upper hand and you let them answer it for you, that's when your life spirals out of control. So the second thing the psalmist deals with is that the wicked appear to have the upper hand at times. And he goes to great lengths to describe this and I don't wanna pass over it. First, you see the arrogance of the wicked. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. The word wicked here means guilty or a person who is characterized by godlessness. The poor in the verse are the afflicted and the needy that you find in Psalm 9, 12, and 18. So here's the accusation. It's two distinct charges. You see both pride and tyranny. One is the root and the cause of the other. The root and the cause is pride. So it is an arrogance that the poor and the needy are used as a means of gain for the wicked. Now this is oppression. We're going to pick that back up in verse 7, so let's move on to verse 3. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and announces, renounces the Lord. Now the word boast here is used throughout the Psalms of what the word that we are to use toward God. It is the word used toward praise and worship of God. So this is an This is a scary indictment. It's saying that the wicked are praising the desires of their soul. They're they're praising and worshiping what they have gained. And here's what's more concerning. Regardless of how they gained it, that the means that they have used by hotly pursuing the poor has led them to curse the Lord and to renounce him. That means they have so justified what they're doing that they are no longer ashamed of their sinful ways and the means of getting it. So they renounce God. Verse four, in the pride of his face, so this is written all over their faces, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Literally in the Hebrew, that phrase is, no God, all his thoughts. No God, all his thoughts. So the wicked are driven by a prideful mind and heart. And basically with contempt, here's what they're saying. There's no God. Why would you seek someone who's not even there? Why would you consume yourself 
with someone who's not there. Spurgeon said of this verse, this is a damning accusation. For where the God of heaven is not, the Lord of hell is reigning and raging. And if God is not in our thoughts, our thoughts will bring us to perdition. His ways prosper at all times, verse five. Your judgments are on high out of his sight for all of his foes, he puffs at them. So let's start at the end. Let me tell you about an experience I had. Several years ago, there was a group of uh, families, homeschool families. We went to Washington, D.C. This has been 10 or 12 years ago. And we toured D.C. And one of the things we did at Mount Vernon is we had applied for and got the opportunity to present the wreath at President Washington's tomb that morning. So I had prepared and done some research and actually prayed a prayer that, that President Washington prayed at one of his inaugural addresses. So by the time we had gone through the ceremony, a crowd had gathered around and I stood with this prayer. And the entire time I prayed the words of General Washington, which I announced that's what I was doing, throughout the crowd repeatedly, you could hear, what? That's offensive. It's the world we live in. Bible's ancient. It's out there. It's, it's, it's with contempt the world speaks of the Bible. Bill Mayer, probably the greatest scoffer of our current age, said, and I quote, the Bible looks like it started out as a game of mad libs. If you don't know what that is, I don't have time to explain it. It's a game you play with children, which results in a ridiculous story. So we've progressed beyond the Bible's lofty and we can't understand it to the Bible is ridiculous. Verse six, here's the height of the arrogance. The wicked says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. So the wicked convince themselves that nothing can defeat them. You see, sin makes you bold. I don't know if you agree with me, but I believe we live in right now in this culture in some of the most bold sinning I've ever witnessed. And instead of the patience of God leading people to repentance, hearts are being hardened and people are being convinced that what they're doing is right and they're being vindicated with their success. And they think with this person described here in the Psalm that throughout all generations, nothing's ever gonna get in their way. They're gonna win and they're gonna keep on winning because arrogance, here's where it ends up. Arrogance leads to oppression. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression under his tongue or mischief and iniquity. It's not only in what he says, it's in his heart. And what he says incites oppression and what he's going to say, what is down deep in there is gonna come forward with more mischief and more iniquity. And it's not just gonna be words. It's gonna result in actions. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. He stealthily watched for the helpless. 
See, they're not satisfied with their own success. They have to bring down and oppress the innocent and the helpless. Now, this is as old as elementary school and middle school. The smartest, most athletic, best-looking, well-dressed kids form a group and then oppress the rest. Treat them wrongly, particularly a child with some form of a mental handicap or poverty that they cannot help are singled out and treated unmercifully. You see, they just grow up. Those people grow up and take positions of influence and power and business and politics. I didn't say all politicians are bad right there. Don't write me letters. And they oppress He lurks, verse nine, like a lion in the thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down and fall by his might. Quote, there have never been an honest, candid, kind, gentle, tender-hearted persecutor of God's servants. Some of you don't even know about what I'm about to say. But from 1976 to 1979, a man named Pol Pot led the Khmer Rouge of Cambodia. And I was consciously alive and aware of the world at that point. Never heard of it. You know why you didn't hear about it? It's because the United States was in collusion with Cambodia against Vietnam at that point, and we were ignoring what was happening in Cambodia. And what was happening in Cambodia was Pol Pot was was systematically, through genocide, eliminating 1.5 million people. One point, this is in my lifetime. They were led out to the killing fields, murdered, and then buried in mass graves. You know why you would have been led to the killing fields? I'm just give you three of the major reasons. Number one, you identified with religion in any way even if you knew a missionary, that's all it took. Number two, if you had any form of formal education. Number three, if your family owned land. Now here's the irony of ironies. Pol Pot was raised in a Catholic school, went to a prestigious university and grew up in a family that owned land. What is the motivation of someone like that? And by the way, can can I just say to you, that's not going to be the last time you see that. Because as these powerful people come into power and we get deluded with them, we go along with them. And here's the delusion. He says in his heart, God is forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. You see, the boldness of the wicked grows as they begin to convince themselves there's no accountability to God for their actions. They become convinced because they've gotten away with it that God is either blind or forgetful or there is no God at all. They assume because God's not punished them that he's pardoning them and that he's with them. 
What do we do when the wicked grow bolder and God appears to be silent? Well, the answer is in the next verse. The righteous must cry to the Lord during seasons of silence. Quote, there is not a church of Christ, in the church of Christ, a case of wrong suffered or persecution endured so bad as to render it doubtful whether we should at once bring it to God. We should say with the psalmist in verse 12, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Psalm 919, arise, O Lord, let not man prevail, let the nations be judged before you. So we are asking God to lift up his hand and act on behalf of the afflicted, to act against the wicked. Now, why can we have the boldness to come to God and ask that? Because Psalm 5, 4 says, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. So we come appealing to the very character of God and we ask him to act, to lift up his hand. Verse 13, why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? In other words, why is he acting as if there is no God or God doesn't see or God is forgotten? Verse 14 reminds us, but you do see, you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. So regardless of what the wicked say and regardless of what the wicked do, the Lord Almighty sees it and he will not forget it. The day is coming when he will justly respond to the wicked. Until then, what do we do? We say to God, to you, the helpless commits themselves. You have been the helper of the fatherless. The Lord takes care of the helpless. We do not face trouble and sin in the world alone. We come trusting God who is our stronghold and we cry out for justice, not vengeance, justice. We say with verse 15, break the arm of the wicked and evildoer, call his wickedness to account till you find none. Aren't you grateful to God that he broke the arm of Hitler? Aren't you grateful to God that he broke the arm of Pol Pot? Breaking the arm sounds brutal, but it's about breaking power. To break the arm is to destroy power, to put it to an end. So what we got to remember is God's going to put it to an end. So Psalm 2, Psalm 2 has got to influence how we read Psalm 10. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? And while they're doing that, while the wicked seem to prosper, he who sits in heaven laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, I have set my king on Zion on my holy hill. <clears throat> and he says to the most powerful among us, now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. <clears throat> Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Well, <coughs> there went the voice in the third service. <clears throat> All right. You don't feel sorry for me in this moment, you pray.
two things from what I just read in Psalm 2. If you're among the wicked who are living your life as if God doesn't know what you're doing, here's his appeal to you today. Kiss the Son. Repent of your sin and turn to Christ. If you are a believer, blessed are those who take refuge in him. What does refuge look like? Here's the so what. That even during seasons of apparent silence, am I trusting the Lord to justly provide for his own? Now that's me as a follower of Jesus, but that's beyond me. The hope of God's people in an unjust world lies in God himself. It's not just what God does, it's in him. So let me illustrate. This is not original to me. It is written that Lloyd Douglas, who is a novelist, while he was in university, he lived in a boarding house upstairs. On the first floor was an elderly man who was a retired music teacher. They had a little thing they did every day. As Lloyd would come in, he would poke his head in the old man's door and he would say, what's the good news today? And the old man would pull out a tuning fork and hit it against the side of his wheelchair and he would say, that's middle C. It has always been middle C. It was yesterday, it will be tomorrow, just like it will be a thousand years from now. And even though that girl upstairs is singing off key, and even though the guy next door to my room, his piano's out of tune, middle C remains middle C. So brothers and sisters, I am about to hit middle C. This is what the Psalms are doing over and over to you. The Psalms is hitting middle C. Verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The Lord is king forever and ever. He will not cease to be king. He was king yesterday. He is king today, he will be tomorrow, he will be a million years from now, and he will be all throughout eternity. The impact of the wicked is temporary. He says right here, the nations perish from his land. Hitler and his regime, gone. Rome and its regime, gone. Pol Pot and his regime, gone. There will be no nation who forgets God that will not perish. And thanks be unto God that we are a part of a kingdom. We got two kingdoms. One's a little K kingdom and a big K kingdom. The little K kingdom you live in right now, those of you living in this room or living in the United States, it's a little K. It's not written about in the Bible, so it's likely going to cease. The big K kingdom is God's kingdom. He is the king and it is forever and he is the king of his people forever. And here's what the king does. Oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. The Lord who is the king is not so distant that he has ceased hearing the cries of his people. 
He not only hears them, he responds to them. He strengthens their hearts in the midst of hardship and difficulty. And he moves. He acts to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of earth may strike terror no more. So here's what we do. We cry out to God to provide for his own. And here's what God does. This is how he works through his people. He works through his people to provide. So we cry and we listen and we respond to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. Do you understand in the Bible, God identifies himself as his character, that he is a father to the fatherless? It's who he is. So we cry out for the fatherless and the oppressed and we realize that in the end it will be made right. And we cry out for what is wrong. Now I'm about to say something very direct and I'm just trying to alert you as a Christian how to respond and how to pray as you're a part of the big K kingdom. And I'm not trying to tell the United States how to do immigration and what I'm gonna say next. I don't know, I'm not smart enough for that. But I am a follower of Jesus and I read the Bible and separating a child from its parents is just slap wrong. There is another way to do justice and to do what is right and not mistreat an innocent child in the process. We as Christians should be deeply bothered by that. That should affect us down inside of us. Further, nobody's known what to do with that all day, by the way, so just don't write me letters about it. I'm pretty fired up about it if you can't tell. I think it's, incredibly wrong and it is very wrong when I hear Christians speak in favor of it. We ought not to. Prayer leads us to action. Do you understand? This was yesterday. I just Googled last night. Opioid crisis foster care. Yesterday in the, in the Charlotte Observer was an article. Yesterday that the opioid crisis is driving us to a foster care crisis. In Iredale County, I wish I knew in Gaston County what it is. I'm sure it's as high or higher. But in Iredale County, 50% of the children coming into the foster care system are coming in because their parents are hooked on opioid drugs. After I finished preaching the last service, one of the people who are do guardian ad litem, and there are many of them, there are many foster care parents and many guardian ad litem people in our church, he came up to me and said, every child I have, every one of them, their parents, they were taken from their parents because of opioids, all of them. Now we can sit back and rail at their drug addicted parents, but here's what we better do. We better pray for those innocent victim children and we better move toward them. God is the father to the fatherless and it is us who pray for them and it is us who act for them as things go from bad to worse. And they're gonna be other things. And it appears that God is silent. We do not lose heart. We remind ourselves from the word of God who God is and who we are and what God has promised to do. Now, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter four. And those of you who have written off part of what I preached today and the way I preached it, well, that's the Old Testament and that's, that's kind of that vengeful Old Testament stuff. And Brothers and sisters, hitch your wagon between the New Testament and the Old Testament, unlike some people would tell you different. They are connected. 
And 2 Corinthians 4 is speaking to what you do when God appears silent. Here's what you do. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of the, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so also spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence." For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So brothers and sisters, we will pray rightly when we understand. Don't, don't miss this last part here. We will pray rightly when we understand who God is and who we are. He is king. You're not. I'm not. He is king and he will be forever. Christ is risen and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession for us. That doesn't make us little lords. That's his love toward us. So who are we? This is a very humble verse. We are jars of clay. We are jars of clay containing the greatest treasure. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are a fragile, afflicted people. But in us is Christ. And when we are broken and afflicted, what pours out of these broken vessels is Christ. It pours out to a watching world to where, for our sake, so that grace extends more and more people, it may increase the thanksgiving to the glory of God. That in this world gone nuts, Christians are responding and living entirely different. That we aren't focused on what we can see, we are focused on what we cannot see. And that is that the king is enthroned in heaven and that one day soon he will get up and he will return and he's going to make everything right. Everything. So we do not lose heart. When it looks like God is silent and it looks like the wicked have the upper hand, we don't lose heart. Why? Why? Here's the point of the psalm. I would say here's the point of the psalms. Because he's sovereign over us. Now, before I pray, I want to press this for a moment. 
What I just said is not only puffed at by the world, it has become common to puff at that in the church. You hear me. You don't let God do anything. He's God. And the greatest comfort that you can have in this transient world is to understand that there is a king over you who is sovereign. And I'm going to be honest with you. The little thread I felt myself hanging on to in the last few weeks of my life is that God is in control. It may feel like it's all spun out of control, but he is still the king. He is sovereign over us. So let us, brothers and sisters, rest in the king who is forever and ever. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray. I plead for the man or woman in this room who thinks you can't see what they're doing, that you've forgotten, and that the reason they've gotten away with it this long, even sitting in church every Sunday and they continue to get away with it, that they're going to continue to in the future. May they be reminded you will right all wrongs. So bring them to repentance. May the kindness of the Lord bring them to repentance today. And for those who are struggling, for those who are despondent, for those who have found themselves in despair, I pray they will not lose heart today, but that they will confess together with the brothers and sisters that you are the king forever and ever, that you are sovereign over us, even in the midst of difficulty. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.